0: Trying something a little different to start off. We thought we would share, uh, we'd do a little show-and-tell style segment of some either news stories or things we've seen that sort of don't merit a full podcast discussion, but that, you know, we want to sort of indulge ourselves in. Uh, today's that I'm going to bring you, Kate, is, is my definition. I'm so excited. It's my definition of a perfect story on the internet. Um, okay. It is by the outlet Quartz. And it is <laughs> the tag on it is Infogoop, um, but it is essentially <laughs> a story that goes through all of Gwyneth Paltrow's goop products and all of Alex Jones's Infowars supplements products, and finds out that they're essentially all the exact same products with different marketing to the complete opposite audience. Like, um, I mean, let's see, let's. Um, it is. Hold on, I'm gonna I'm gonna do it. Okay. All of them make similar claims about the health benefits of their ingredients, but what gets called super male vitality by InfoWars is branded as sex dust by Moon juice. <laughs> and it is I mean, like, this is truly I I when I saw it, I almost threw my phone across the room because I'm so jealous that somebody made these connections and published this story. Um it is it's 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 unbelievable. Um, and, and essentially... Are they
1: selling? Are they selling like the the jade vagina eggs on Infowars? They're <laughs> selling the that? jade
0: vagina eggs on Infowars. <laughs> um, that, but like if it was, it would be called like power egg. You know, it would be. <laughs> it would be <laughs> It's just so amazing though that both of the what they show is that both of these things are also marketed to like you can buy them at GNC or at you know in the weird aisle of Whole Foods that sells sort of like homeopathic stuff, but the Goop product and the Infowars product are both like five to ten times more expensive than the normal thing. So you basically have like you know green juice addict like Gwyneth Paltrow heads trying to like live their their best life and you know. I don't know, change their aura. And then you have like the people who are like stockpiling guns who are just, who are taking the same. I, I love it so much. I
1: I had to, I had to tell you. That's a beautiful story. Yeah. Thank you for sharing that you're, with me, Charlie. You're welcome. I don't think my story is as exciting, but a congressman um, got some paintings from his constituents <laughs> and they were paintings of Melania Trump and Donald Trump from like the inauguration the early days and I'm not really sure what happened, but we just started seeing these tweets of these incredible paintings being taken to the vice president's office in the House side and um, but then the vice president's office was like, we didn't order these paintings and so I what I what I suspect happened is that Congressman Mike Kelly, whose constituent is painting lots of paintings of <laughs> Donald Trump, it's just like getting like shit tons of paintings i was like i don't fucking know what to do with these (laughs) and like sending them down the hall to the vice president's office who also maybe doesn't want them i don't know i just thought it was really great i really like Um, the
0: fact that like when inspiration strikes and you just need to paint donald and melania you do it (laughs) but like this guy is churning out so much that it has to There's get offloaded. So much... I really like the idea of like not being able to be like, well, I did one. Uh, let's go again. Paint me like one of your French girls, Donald.
1: <laughs> hey, this is Kate Nocera, and you're listening to No One Knows Anything, the BuzzFeed News Politics Podcast. Every week, we talk about this crazy time in American politics, break down a few stories, and try and make sense of things.
0: And I'm Charlie Warzel, a senior tech writer here at BuzzFeed.
1: Charlie, what are we talking about this week? Other than Alex Jones and Gwyneth Paltrow, we are talking
0: about the politics of the health care disaster for Republicans and how that's going to play out sort of across the country and with a lot of uh, the governors. Uh, and then we're going to talk about what the heck is going on at CNN. Um, it's been a really, really rough week for them.
1: We did also want to let everyone know that we're switching to a new summer schedule after this episode. We're going to start airing episodes every other week that feature a deep dive interview with someone hopefully you think is interesting. We'll think they're interesting. So, yeah, <laughs> and, and whenever in. a new uh, story breaks that's, that's
0: really big or that we think deserves a little bit of unpacking, we're going to pop back into the podcast feed and do uh, a short segment on that. So keep your eyes out for those. Um, so we'll be off next week. But we'll be back the week after on July 14th with one of those interviews. And lastly, it's just after 1130 a.m. on Thursday. And I'm telling you this because by the time you listen to it, who knows what's going to happen.
1: All right. So we have talked a lot about healthcare this year. We thought there might be a vote on the Senate bill this week, but Republicans just didn't have the vote for it right now, which maybe sounds familiar because that's kind of what happened with the House bill. And Mitch McConnell, the Republican leader, ended up delaying everything. So now to talk about this and kind of what it means on a national level, rather than just go through the process in Congress again, is Henry Gomez, who covers Republicans for BuzzFeed News. What's up, Henry? Hey, how's it going, Kate? Oh, fine.
2: Uh, (laughs) That didn't sound too convincing.
1: That was not
0: convincing at all.
1: I'm like the personification of the Infinite Scream Twitter account, I feel like. This week, it's just been one thing after another. So McConnell delays the vote. And uh, I mean, a lot of the outside criticism has come from sort of state governors, Republican governors who have, you know, who are really going to be the ones implementing whatever Congress comes up with in this deal to repeal and maybe try and replace Obamacare. So why why do a lot of them hate what's happening in the Senate right now? Well, as you
2: mentioned, they are implementing a good chunk of it. And one of the more recognizable policy aspects of Obamacare is Medicaid expansion, which has sent a lot of federal money back to states to expand the Medicaid rolls. It's I wouldn't. I don't know if "popular" is the right word for it, but it's it's something that uh, I think the the general voting public has come to accept, has come to appreciate, especially when you have the opioid crisis uh, exploding in some states such as such as Ohio uh, and other rural areas. And what we what we see here are governors who are now relying on this federal money to balance their budgets. And if Medicaid expansion goes away, if it's streamlined, if it's phased out, they're going to have huge budget holes to fill. The voters there are going to be angry. And and really, some of these Republicans have staked their own political reputations on combating issues such as the opioid crisis. So they're, they're, the the political issues out in the states are a little bit different than the political issues in Washington or what some of the congressmen and congresswomen in these, you know, gerrymandered districts uh, are facing with their own constituencies.
1: I mean, it's really, really hard. I think like one of the things that this like political reality, it is very difficult once you give a state or a human a benefit, something, it is incredibly hard to take that away. Like people get mad when you take something away from them. Right. Right.
2: Well, yeah. And, that's, and and I mean, we're seeing it in Ohio with, with John Kasich, who when he first campaigned for governor in 2010, he was Mr. Tea Party before it was cool. He campaigned against Obamacare. Then all of a sudden he gets this money to expand Medicaid and he takes it. And he runs for reelection as being the sensible, pragmatist, Republican governor who was willing to do what was right, put put policy and, and what's right over partisan politics. So for him to just completely abandon that now would would look bad for him. He's really built up this centrist re- reputation on Medicaid expansion. Brian Sandoval in Nevada, uh, very similarly. And in Nevada, it's been interesting because Sandoval has had an influence on the senator there, Dean Heller, who faces a, a very tough re-election fight next year. He's the, I think he's the only – I think he's the only Republican – Senator up for re-election in a state that Hillary Clinton won, so yeah. that that is obviously fueling some of what's going on there. And of course, Dean Heller came out uh, this week, this past week, to say that he opposed the he opposed the Senate version of the health care bill as it was written. So we're seeing this play out uh, in other states as well with the Republican governors. One observation I have on this is in a lot of these states, the governors are more well known than senators to their to uh-huh. the voters when you look at polling data. And so when you have these governors that are out there that have been selling something like Medicaid expansion, the voter tends to identify more with the governor than the senator. So it's in the case of Nevada, at least, it's easy for a senator like Heller to use the governor as sort of political cover for this.
0: Well, I was just going to ask, when you were first talking about this and bringing up the governor's my question is what exactly is like like how much of a voice do they have in this and and it sounds it sounds like like they they have this influence but i don't know i mean just given the sense that they're not the ones voting does it do they have a really strong voice does it seem
2: i think it it's a case by case basis and you know i mentioned nevada I say the dynamic there is not the same as it is in Ohio, where I've seen a lot of other national reports out there suggesting that John Kasich is going to have the same effect on Rob Portman as uh, Brian Sandoval has had on Dean Heller, and I'm not I don't see that happening at all. Portman and Kasich, while they're friendly, certainly don't work together a lot, and. Portman's going to do what he's going to do, regardless of what John Kasich is saying. He doesn't take his orders from him. Um, but in the case of Nevada, I think where you have a vulnerable senator like Heller, who's up for re-election next year, it helps to have a relatively popular governor who is saying these things because it does give you that cover. Portman just won re-election, so he doesn't he doesn't need the political cover as much as as Dean Heller does right now.
1: So, Henry, I know you've, like, covered this, uh, uh, like, uh, quite a bit, but the the, pro, the Trump world for their, you know, they, they want to get this done. The White House wants to get this done. Trump's allies want to get this done. It's something they campaigned on, something they really want. They are going after or wanted to go after dean heller wanted to go after anyone who like is mean to them right Mm. and and sort of pressure them and bully them into voting for this can you talk a little bit about that dynamic and like the outside pressure that is coming from the the pro-trump factions of the universe
2: Yeah, yeah definitely so when heller did come out Against this bill, America First Policies, which is a nonprofit political organization that supports and promotes Donald Trump, they quickly said that they were going to target Heller with a, a seven-figure barrage of social media, television, and radio ads. And we saw these come over the previous weekend. We'd see tweets that were linking Dean Heller, you know, Republican senator, to Nancy Pelosi, the you know. Democratic leader of the House, and of course, you know the mainstream establishment Republican figures. Just they were they were alarmed because here you have a group that purports to support a Republican president going after a vulnerable Republican senator. Uh, we know they're faction whose seat the,
1: they like. Cons- they need like, right. Yeah. I mean, that's a yeah.
2: it's the Democrats' number one pickup opportunity next year. And so while. It made sense maybe for some people with the group to want to make an example of Dean Heller. You know, there wasn't enough pushback from maybe the grownups in the room to say, hey, this is a really bad idea. You know, they talked, uh, they did not, for example, they did not give Mitch McConnell, the Senate Majority Leader, a heads up that they were going to do this. And McConnell's people were furious about this. And then they tried to talk America First out of doing it, which we had this period on on Monday or Tuesday uh, where, First, the ads were gonna run on TV, then they weren't gonna run on TV, then they were running on TV again, and then finally the bill gets pulled, and America First, uh, or the bill gets delayed, rather, and America First announces that they're no longer gonna go on air against Teller. So, really weird, bizarre movements there.
0: It, it reminds me a lot of the stuff that I see in my world with sort of the, the, the pro-Trump media and, and, and the way that they work, where the strategy just appears to be, like, you get behind the President and his message, and the idea is win at all costs and if you if you step out in any way in like it doesn't matter who you are you're just gonna get savaged right and it just seems uh it, it hasn't it's, i guess it's worked okay but it's it seems like it's it's like a it's a like a, a band-aid on like a, a gaping wound kind of situation <laughs> yeah, and they're not you know they're not Necessarily, all
2: good at this. I mean, there are some people in the <laughs> there are some people at America First who have ex, a lot of experience in political campaigns. But then you also have, you know, and I'm not meaning that to be like you know denigrating of their efforts. I mean, one of the members of America First is Brad Parscale, who is Donald Trump's digital director. Um, obviously, very good at what he is good at and that's digital and social media but he's never run a big political operation before and he's one of the trump loyalists who's probably advocating let's get him let's get him let's get him and then you've got another person there like katie walsh who used to be the rnc's chief of staff who you know and i'm briefly
1: worked in the white house
2: House, i'm I'm just speculating here but then you have those people have more traditional political experience who who understand that you just can't steamroll you know mitch mcconnell's political agenda so it's you know like, There's also
1: like I mean they also know That the people With more experience in D.C. Sort of like know That McConnell is a master Of the Senate dark arts right. And while this is like A very difficult piece Of legislation to get through he, he takes on so much Of the burden For his members Like he's willing To be the villain So they can do What they need to do To get reelected He's playing the long game here And I don't think That there's a real like Oh, we can see the, we can we can see the long game on on the on the Trump side.
2: And it, and it all goes back to the whole issue. I mean, this was the one policy issue that really animated the Republican Party over the last eight years. That really rallied the base. You know, if there was one thing Republicans could agree on is that Obamacare had to go. And now that they have control of the White House and the Senate and the House, and they can't get it done, it really is, you know, an example of like. The policy and the act of governing, especially in these states that rely on Medicaid expansion, colliding with, you know, the politics of it. And and it is a lot messier than anybody, I think, ever thought it was going to be.
1: Reality, man. <laughs> <laughs> Good, thoughts. Good thoughts. Good thoughts. Henry, thank you for joining us from real America. Henry lives in Ohio. He's visiting New York this week. Uh, we appreciate you stopping by. I'll tell Real America that y'all said hi. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Thanks. Joining us now is Steven Perlberg, who covers media and politics for BuzzFeed News. There are a couple of things going on with. CNN right now, and I'm very hopeful that Stephen can help explain those to me. Sure. Because it's, it's a lot. It's
3: a lot. It's been a busy week at CNN. Um, this started over the weekend when CNN reported a story involving a Russian investment fund and its ties to the Trump orbit, sort of similar types of stories that we've been seeing, but it was sourced to a you know a single anonymous source, and the... Uh, post was deleted, and a, a reporter here at BuzzFeed noticed and uh, asked CNN about it. They ended up issuing a, a retraction, and this was sort of um, causing a stir on, on the right-wing internet at the time um, that, the you know, the story was wrong. And basically, you know, my sources at CNN said it, they really weren't sure what was true and what wasn't in the story. It didn't go through the proper editorial channels that they have for investigative work, and they retracted the story, and they ended up um, – uh, the the th- three people involved in the story, the reporter, the editor, and the the editor of the entire CNN investigative section, uh, resigned um, on Monday, and uh, it was like a really seen as sort of a really strong um, statement internally in CNN um, that they Zucker the the Jeff Zucker the head of CNN has sort of said, you know we need to play error free ball we can't give any ammo to our critics and um, it was a a really massive error and um the consequences were were pretty steep so they've been dealing with that and then at the same time they've been dealing with uh a conservative filmmaker james o'keefe who has been releasing uh videos uh he released one video of a cnn producer in atlanta who um was raising doubts about the cnn's coverage of of russia um, in a sort of surreptitiously filmed video um that was cascading across the the right-wing internet um so there's just a lot happening, um, but it's it's you know it's really interesting. Yeah,
0: <laughs> I mean it's it's wild. It's like it's it's a crazy week. Um, I was I spent Sunday with a lot of uh, like pro-Trump media types at a, a couple of rallies that were going on in D.C. and this was just sort of like it was before the CNN staffers resigned, but. Um, but sort of after the the story had been had been pulled and 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 you wrote about it and a lot of other people did, um and, and essentially what they were saying to me is like we fight this war every day against the fake news like we you know carry Trump's water for that um, and that's just kind of like it's basically like a talking point it's maybe not as much of a reality as we actually say it is and this was like the perfect bit of ammunition like they, we can literally claim. That they peddle fake news. So like th- they were so excited about this. This was like the biggest possible win for them. Right. And like the the sort of the the far right fringe of Twitter is just an incessant stream right now. And and it, it's it's going to be very hard for them to sort of get some high ground. I think
1: uh, CNN retracted the story, apologized, and and you know then basically fired three people who one of whom pulled surprise winner came over recently from the new york times i mean did 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 that punishment like the resignations that fit the crime of what happened and do you think that would have happened in another in another environment in another media environment
3: some people in cnn think that Trump is and the, the climate that we're in is the X factor and that in another in an identical sort of maybe breakdown in editorial channels on another story um, that wasn't so what everyone has their eye on right now, um, mm-hmm. that it wouldn't that it wouldn't have been uh, the punishment wouldn't have been quite so harsh. At the same time, um, another CNN source reminded me that um, if, you, if you recall, CNN had that error uh, previewing the Comey hearings um where they said that he that Comey was planning to deny that he thrice told Trump that he wasn't under investigation when in fact you know he did confirm that he said that and that, that was seen in CNN inside CNN as a really big deal it got a little bit of press but it, it was seen internally as like hey guys we really cannot do this and then one of the uh editors who resigned was involved in that story so um there were some people at CNN that that once this attraction happened, I think they legitimately thought that people were going to lose their jobs over it. And then it was – it maybe seemed more surprising from the outside.
0: And I think, too, that that more than just like the political climate, it's the nature of – that it was a story about like Russia and Russia ties. And like the, the narrative, if you're defending Trump, is always that, you know, the, the – biased liberal media is so like breathless about this and so ready to believe anything that has to do with collusion with Russia that they will jump on anything and this story kind of like you know i not to say that it it proves that in any way but it it's it's like hey we had one source we decided to skip all of our editorial you know checks and balances mm-hmm. to just rush this sucker out and it turns out to be false, and and well, so I think that yeah, it's interesting.
3: Or, I mean, yeah, it, one, it's not. Um, you know, they they retracted the story because they because of the breach in protocol is is what mm-hmm. it, it, they're mm-hmm. sort of signaling. Uh, Anthony Scaramucci, who was mentioned in the story, you know, um, it had been reported that he like there were some maybe legal threats going around. I haven't independently confirmed that. Um, but there was definitely pressure on the network. But I think part of it was just like, we don't know what's true. We don't know what's false. And like you can't be a news organization and look at your story and be like, we don't know what's true and what's might not be true in here. Um, so <sighs> you kind of yeah. have to yank it. Yeah, yeah.
1: And then Scaramucci, he he basically has been the one kind of downplaying all of this, right? Like, he was like, oh, they apologized and yeah. it's over. It's not a big deal. <laughs> like, he was on Fox and Friends this morning kind of just saying, like, kind of being the, the, the bigger bigger guy in all of this right. and, the story was about him
3: and he yeah he, he he tweeted you know sort of no hard feelings kind of thing um there have been reports you know over the weekend and and in the past few days that like the the glee in trump's orbit over this and like a lot of congratulations you know anthony's uh going mm-hmm. around um because he really i mean the from from his perspective you know he played it pretty well it seems right and um but it's 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 tough uh a tough environment at CNN, like someone uh, over there described it to me as, you know, it feels like a funeral, like the day after um, the resignation. So there, there there was a, you know, they do a morning conference call. And um, right after the resignations, Zucker was telling everyone to, you know, keep fighting the good fight. And this only shows uh, that CNN's influence is growing. Um, but, you know, obviously, when that kind of thing happens, it's going to lead to a, a dip in morale.
1: So then, like, the one-two punch of the resignations plus the James O'Keefe videos that came out. The video purported to show a a sort of health editor, right? Like a producer who was not involved in any kind of coverage of Trump or Russia saying that the the Russia story was a nothing burger. And to the pro-Trump world, this appeared to be CNN- confirming that it was all right.
3: overblown right. even though
1: the guy was
3: yeah it had nothing
1: to do with any of the stories yeah
3: and and like cnn sources were like this guy it's not like he was necessarily intimately aware of their russia coverage planning at the same time like it's a bad look, you know. It just—I mean, right. it's—it's it, it's not a good look. And um, but you know, CNN said CNN went on the record and was like, you know, diver- we want a diversity of opinion in our newsroom. Like people can sort of disagree about this stuff. And the other O'Keefe clip that posted yesterday was a uh, one of um, CNN commentator Van Jones calling Russia a nothing burger, which CNN was like, quick to remind that he had he had made similar comments on the air about how you know, sort of a cover up worse than the crime type type uh, commentary. So. The edits look worse than than the actual content of it, but um,
0: and and it's, it's not a good look. And it
3: speaks to just this idea that, I mean,
0: this is not for, especially the O'Keefe stuff, is not for CNN fans. Like this is just essentially they they are speaking to this base that doesn't trust it, that doesn't watch it, that thinks it's ridiculous, and it's just sort of like you know, it's it's just that that fodder that, um, you know, confirmation bias kind of stuff. But, but I, I mean, I think, I think it's genuinely like it just adds to the kind of chaos. And like yesterday I I saw a, like a Breitbart story that was like the headline was like fake news, fake followers. And it was like CNN has 17 million fake Twitter followers, which is the critique that's always leveled against Trump, which is, you know, a bullshit, stupid thing. But it's just like they, I guess, Sort of on the right, the right wing media sense blood in the water and are just like heaping it well, on them right now. There was
3: another Breitbart story as well uh, when this was happening that they interviewed Donald Trump Jr., who said that Jeff Zucker should have a press conference to address the scandal. And of course, the context for this is that CNN and Jim Acosta, their White House correspondent, are being very vocal about all of the White House briefings that are happening uh, behind closed doors. And so these sort of like thinly veiled. Shots at like, well, he should have a press conference. You know, the the press conference complaining people should have a press conference. So it's um, they're like using all of these very interesting tactics. And- it's
0: a Russian nesting doll of trolling, <laughs> <Yeah>. essentially. Which is
1: <laughs> <laughs> awful. That was bad, Charlie. Sorry. Is this? I mean, like, is this gonna stop anytime soon? Like, will they move on to a different target? It feels like CNN has sort of been square in the site of the pro-Trump world and, you know, the White House, there's obviously a very antagonistic relationship between CNN and the White House. I mean, literally, the deputy press secretary, Sarah Huckabee Sanders, said on camera earlier this week, everyone should go check out these videos. I don't know if they're legitimate or not, but you should just watch them and see, you know, like from the White House podium, say, telling people to go watch the James O'Keefe videos. So does... Does CNN just sort of represent all of the media, or will they move on to different media targets, or, or what?
3: I mean, I think to Charlie's point, like the sort of conservative media senses the blood in the water around CNN, and they're under so I think considerably more scrutiny than a lot of other media outlets. But at the same time, like I think like the Post, the Times, CNN. You know, us like the outlets that have been aggressive against the administration can't really m- make mistakes, um, mm-hmm. or if they, were if they do, it, you know, it's going to like they'll pay for it on Breitbart and across Twitter.
0: And and not to like pile on, but there is a thing when I talk to pro-Trump media people who are keeping these attacks on. One thing that they say is like CNN and a lot of like is is an easy target in the f- sense that they are very like and, and the times can be this way, too. I mean, I guess anyone from like a really legacy media outlet, they're sort of like very indignant about it. You know, like I, CNN's Jim Acosta, you know, tweeted like, no, Mr. President, we are hashtag real news, you know, like very defiant. Like some of them, you know, go use their broadcast platforms to sort of do their little, you know, pro-journalism, sort of, like, you know, uh, impassioned uh, defenses. And, well, there's absolutely nothing wrong with that. It's, like, the people in Trump world see it, or maybe Trump sees it, and are just, like, all right, you, if you're going to go, I'm going to go, you know? And just, like, I'm going to push back even harder. And it just sort of it feeds itself. Yeah, it's not good to be earnest on the Internet. <laughs> <laughs> yes, if 2016 taught us anything...
1: Oh, never to never tweet and nothing matters yeah
0: exactly and no
3: one knows That's... anything and don't be earnest
1: <sighs> all right Stephen. thanks so much for joining us thanks thanks so much for listening in today and reminder again that we're switching to the new summer schedule after this episode every other week starting July 14th. So we'll be off next week, back July 14th with an interview. with Someone hopefully you think is very interesting. Someone we will think is very interesting. And uh, we'll be talking about everything that's happening.
0: But if something crazy does happen, we will come back in with something. So don't worry. If if the world starts to burn, we will will podcast.
1: (laughs) (laughs) There will be potting. There will be potting. No One Knows Anything is produced by Meg Kramer and Eleanor Kagan. The show is edited by Katherine Miller. Production support comes from Agarinesha Chagre and Veronica Doolin. Our music is by Beauty Pill. You can find us on Twitter at Kate Nocera and at C Warzel.